0: Move Forward Radio is brought to you by ChoosePT.com, the official consumer information website of the American Physical Therapy Association. Find a physical therapist near you at ChoosePT.com.
1: Welcome to Move Forward Radio. I'm Eric Reese. Although she's only 22 years old, Sydney Mesher already has accomplished a lot as a professional dancer. Late last year, she achieved a long-time goal by becoming a member of the famed Radio City Music Hall Rockettes and performing in their legendary holiday show. She also has starred in an ad for Core Hydration Water, been a backup dancer in a stadium concert for the Korean boy band BTS, and has modeled for Hollister's Gilly Hicks collection of underwear and sleepwear. She's distinctive in another way as well. When she appeared on the Radio City stage in New York City, She was the first dancer with a visible disability in the troupe's nearly 100-year history. Sydney was born without a left hand, but she's never let that slow her down. She's rallied past psychological and physical bumps in the road that have included bullying and a significant injury in early 2019 that threatened her ability to make an important audition. In this episode of Move Forward Radio, Sydney talks about her journey from being a little girl in Oregon who danced before she could walk to becoming an assured performer who's glad to have blazed a trail for others with disabilities but has mixed feelings about being hailed as a role model. Joining her is Tyler Kenton, a physical therapist who helped her through injury and continues to work with her as needed. Tyler discusses how Sydney's physical features influence her treatment and describes the rehab program that got her back on the dance floor on a tight schedule. Here's our conversation with Sydney and Tyler. So Sydney and uh, Tyler, thanks so much for uh, for joining us this morning. Uh, we appreciate it. Uh, Sydney, my background is in print journalism. As a a former newspaper reporter and in my uh, subsequent work with nonprofit organizations, including uh, the American Physical Therapy Association, I've always been all about objectivity and keeping myself completely out of the story. But I I feel compelled to step outside of that role a little bit in your case because you and I have something in common. And and that commonality is going to influence a couple of the questions that I ask you. I'm much older than you are. I don't dance uh, pretty much at all. God knows I was never a threat to make any dance troupe. But like you, uh, I was born without a hand. In my case, it's the right that's missing as opposed to you're missing your left hand. So between us, we've got a full set. Anyway, in uh, reading articles about you, uh, I was struck by a couple of things. One was the fact that you got made fun of in school because you looked different. And another was that your parents were were totally accepting and encouraged you to think of yourself as being no different from anyone else. My parents were the same way, even back in the dark ages of the 1960s and early 70s, when when I was in high school and and middle school and when social attitudes uh, toward disability weren't exactly what you'd call enlightened. So I faced occasional taunts from other kids as well. and I, I, But I found that the solid grounding, the acceptance, the love that I received at home went a long way toward helping me cope with uh, what I faced, quote-unquote, out in the world. So with apologies for that very long lead-in, Sydney, I'd like to ask you uh, to start with, can you talk a little about your childhood, about how you felt about yourself and what your parents' role in that was?
2: First off, thank you for sharing that. Don't apologize. I love hearing your story. But my childhood... I always like to say like it was challenging and I did come across those incidents where I was bullied and was pointed out to be different. But my family raised me similar to yours to have like faith and trust in who I am and know that these people's comments aren't a defining factor or they don't explain who I am. That's not the truth necessarily and that those comments are coming out of those people's own fears. So that was really like instilled into me in a young age just to trust, that I know who I am, and I-, I am different. But the difference that I have is not necessarily a bad thing. And I, uh, though I did experience the comments and the light bullying, I always like to say like it didn't traumatize me necessarily. It just made me grow up a lot faster and made me a lot stronger just to be comfortable in who I am and how to approach the world and how to approach different people in different situations. So I just am really grateful for my parents' support and my friends' support and how I was raised to recognize that I should be comfortable in who I am and I shouldn't have to alter my life to other people's different uh interpretations or like perspectives about me.
1: Well, and it sounds like their their message to you was kind of like uh, when people make comments like that, it's more it's more a commentary on them than than on you.
2: Yeah, and I mean, children have such curiosity that was some it's just challenging to begin with. I remember like I was confused when I saw someone with red hair for the first time. Like it's just like coming into the world and learning different things and I was something that people hadn't experienced. So Yeah, it was those people's comments out of their own fear. They had never experienced someone like me. And I know it wasn't necessarily meant to be offensive, but it was them just learning. And I had to have thick skin to help them like educate themselves. Uh, So I'm really grateful for the way that I was raised because I could come into different scenarios with that mindset. So
1: I've read online a a few interviews that you've done, and and in interviews, your your parents uh, talk about how you loved to dance from a very early age. Um, Your your mom, in fact, says that you danced before you could walk. So I, I want to ask you, what are some of your earliest memories of dancing and sort of how it made you feel?
2: Yeah, dancing has always been really innate to me. Um, Like you said, my parents always joked that I was dancing before I could walk. It was just so natural in a way that I obviously was expressing myself from a very young age. Um, I used to have fashion shows and dance performances for my parents at the dinner table. (laughs) 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 I'd dinner really fast, and I would put on like Britney Spears or Old Pink and I would com- just like leave the dinner table, put on a costume and come out and give them a show while they were finishing dinner. I couldn't sit still. It was just like uh it was it was something that brought me joy and I it was evident to my family and myself that this is something that was gonna be prevalent throughout my whole life.
1: And I guess you didn't even charge them for your performances.
2: <laughs> I did not. I felt <laughs> bad though. Looking back on it now it was probably so annoying,
1: but something that made me happy. <laughs> <laughs> so um, you were, when you were only four years old, your, your dad um, read an article in the newspaper about a star basketball player at a high school about uh, 200 miles away from where you lived, who, like you, had only one hand. Uh, and uh, your dad made sure that you got an opportunity to see her play, and that individual would become a friend and mentor to you. So can you talk uh, about uh, Nicole Jameson and, and, and her role in your life?
2: Nicole Jamison, I'm so fond of her and so thankful for her. Uh, so when I was, I was in, I think, elementary school when my dad first read the article, uh, Nicole lived in Condon, Oregon, and I'm from Portland, so it was a couple hours away. And she had had this article about her being an amazing basketball player, like you said, and she had one hand. And this is, I mean, when I was growing up, I didn't have social media at the time still, and so meeting people or finding people like me was very difficult because you're limited to your uh, bubble that you're in, and there was no one like me in my bubble. And I, so having this opportunity, even though Nicole was technically far, she was so close in a sense, and so my dad was very, very determined to have us meet. And we drove out to watch one of her basketball games, and I remember sitting in the stands just so in awe. Uh, she is an amazing woman, and she was an amazing player, too. And I was able to fortunately meet her after, and we were able to establish a really wonderful relationship. Nicole taught me a lot, um, just things that people don't even necessarily think about. Um, it's funny, but I didn't know how to shave my armpits, and Nicole taught me that. And I couldn't put my hair up pretty well like it was a struggle for me for a while and she helped me figure that out Um, so she kind of introduced me to a lot of very important everyday things and she also just became such a dear friend Uh, I love Nicole we talk every so often Um, she's a great mom now and I'm just like I'm so thankful for her and I'm really grateful that uh, we had that opportunity and privilege to meet and then grow a relationship later on in life.
1: I read that the first time that she saw you, actually, she noticed you in the stands before, like she even actually met you.
2: Yeah, I didn't know that. I read that too, but she said I was dancing in the stands the first time she saw me, which is <laughs> <laughs> it's really funny. It's a testament to how much I love to dance. But
1: and you say you and her, you and she, are still in touch?
2: Yeah, we talk every so often now. I mean, she's a full-blown mom, but. Um, she's back in Oregon and when I'm home I try to see her and we obviously have just like continued our relationship because she was so monumental for me and I um she's like a big sister another big sister to me and she Mm -hmm. I'm just yeah she's great so um
1: uh Sydney can you kind of walk us through your involvement in dance through your high school years and, and sort of how you went about developing your talents in that in that early stage of your life
2: yeah uh so like I said it was pretty obvious that I wanted to be a dancer uh, from a very young age Mm -hmm. and so my parents kind of went with that and put me in dance classes from a young age and I was in ballet and tap but my heart kind of fell in love with hip-hop dance and jazz dance I really liked the musicality I liked the intensity and the power so I focused on hip-hop and jazz for a long period of time and um, I started to It just became obvious, even more obvious, that I needed this in my life, which is when I then diversified my training, including ballet and jazz and tap and contemporary and even African, too. I really just, like, diversified my training and wanted to be versatile because I just, like, loved what I was doing and I got really serious about it in middle school um, I used to play softball I was a pitcher in softball and Mm -hmm. I decided to quit playing softball and focus on dance and that became like an everyday after school activity for three to five hours a day after school Um, so it became serious And then in high school, I decided to transfer to the performing arts high school in the area my junior year, um, which meant I was leaving my friends, my familiarity, my teachers, my academics, all those things, and really wanted to focus on dance. And that was, I like to say, like, that was a crystallizing moment for me where I decided that I was going to make the sacrifices that I needed to do to make this a profession. Um, And I learned so much by going to that performing arts high school.
1: How was it going to that uh, high school, and did you feel at home there, or did it take a little uh, kind of acclimating to make you feel like you belong there?
2: It definitely took a lot of acclimating. Um, the school, I went from a school from like 1,500 to 2,000 people to a school of 400 people. I didn't really know anyone. I had a few friends who definitely helped that transition more comfortable. They were dancers as well, but still, you're leaving kind of everything that you've known, and that was a big jump being 15 16 at the time and I kind of that was when I really put my focus on dance and I obviously cared about academics but I was doing more dance in the day than I was focusing on my academics and that fulfilled me in a very different manner but still it's challenging that's a emotional time in your life and leaving your friends and just like your comfort your comfortable bubble and was scary. But I think that transition that just trusting myself and trusting that I needed to follow my passion is part of the reason why I'm here where I am right now, because I was able to just like have the courage to do so. And I was testing my limits at a young age.
1: So, well, and your, and your parents were behind that move, too, which is yes, obviously important. Yeah.
2: My parents were behind that move. Um, Yeah, and that I mean that's also just a testament to how supportive my parents were. At that time, it was becoming it was kind of in that weird limbo stage where we were thinking about college and if I wanted what I wanted to do for my profession. But this was kind of a safety net for me to try living like a more of my life with a huge focus on dance, and um, I could see if it was going to be right for me and with their support and because they trusted me to do that at that time, we all kind of realized that this was what I was going to do with my life, and I was comfortable doing that, and I think transferring to that high school kind of gave me the trial period to figure that out.
1: Right, so, so you have that experience, and you, you get through high school, but your, your parents feel it's important for you to have a, a college degree as a fallback, so you, you go to Pace University in New York City to pursue a, a degree in fine arts. Now, um, obviously, there are a lot of dance opportunities in New York City, so uh, talk about your college years and, and how those contributed to the pursuit of your, uh, your dance goals.
2: My parents really did want me to go to college and I was really against that for a while. I -hmm. had always envisioned myself moving out to LA and just starting to dance professionally. Um, but I like through a lot of conversation, um, they and I decided that it would just make sense for me to go to college. I wanted to try it out. I wanted to have a transitional period because coming from Oregon, I really didn't have that many connections in the industry and I'm so grateful for my teachers that I had and um, whoever helped me in my training growing up. But the industry is crazy. And if you're not really thrown into it, like I didn't have those connections coming from Oregon. So I needed to put myself into it and start networking and putting my face out there. Um, And I thought that college would help me do that because I could focus on school while kind of putting myself out there and meeting these people and kind of putting my feet in both worlds. And I think uh, just through a lot of discussion and different auditions and figuring out what school was right for me, I decided to go to Pace University in New York. And I was so apprehensive about moving to New York because it was so far away from Oregon. But I... I'm so grateful that I went to Pace. Um, The professors there, the creative director of the program, Rhonda Miller, um, completely convinced me. And she just kind of took me under her wing and taught me so much. And, like, I really think that a lot of the things that I've received in my career are because I went to Pace. uh, Because I was able to kind of put myself out there and start meeting these people in the industry while Still, still being at school and still training. Um, also, just being in New York, you learn so much and you grow up so much. And I really matured at a young age from moving across the country. And how opportunities... Oh, go ahead.
1: Uh, I, was, I was just going to ask, what kinds of opportunities did, did you have? Obviously, uh, you had uh, uh, opportunities outside of college while you were in college.
2: Mm-hmm. So, yeah, being in New York you have so many opportunities. You can go see a Broadway show on a random night. And that is a privilege in itself because you're learning, you're seeing what's working out there. You're getting to see what's relevant right now. And um, I really took advantage of being in New York. I was taking classes from choreographers who are choreographing on Broadway or choreographing different tours with different artists and music videos. And so I was really making an effort to utilize my time in New York City while in school to start making these connections. And I was able to get an agent in my sophomore year of college, which a lot of people don't do until they graduate college. So I started building, like I said, building those relationships and having that agent before I graduated gave me a lot of just comfort because I had already accomplished something that I knew was going to be very necessary um, for when I finished my degree. and. That's just because I took advantage of the time and the people that New York offered. So when was it that you graduated? I graduated June of 2019. In
1: June of 2019. But so uh, let's go back a little bit. In early 2019, you actually broke your foot when you landed a jump wrong. You, you needed surgery. You, uh, you were on crutches. You had a boot. Uh, you weren't able to dance for four months during your last semester in college. That, that, that must have felt devastating to you.
2: That was one of the hardest things I've ever experienced, and that sounds dramatic, but when you have worked so hard for so long and you're so close to getting your degree and then you're not able to be a part of it, it was devastating. Um, I broke my foot in the last audition for our senior showcase, and it was the last day of January, I believe. I broke my foot, and um, I was just hysterically crying. Uh, it was... <laughs> Not a night that I love thinking about, but um, I ended up trying to avoid having surgery for a couple weeks. Uh, The doctors and I discussed and we thought we could fix the bone uh, without surgery, but then I ended up needing to get surgery and my bone had moved. So I Mm -hmm. lost about four weeks, which pushed me back even longer because with my initial recovery plan, I was hoping to be able to be a part of my senior showcase because those four weeks I would have been able to really like rehab and get back to my full strength and rehearse. But unfortunately I lost that time. Um, and so after getting surgery, I was on crutches for I think two months then, two to three months and being on crutches is awful to begin with but then being on crutches with one hand in new york city when it's snowing is another experience in itself (laughs) um i that was the first time that i really faced and i'll i like to say this openly like that was the first time i really faced challenges with my hand because i was trying to hop around my apartment but i could only use one hand to really hold on to things or grab something so like i couldn't carry my food to my table to sit and eat, I had to eat at the counter, or just different things that I had never really faced issues with before. And right. um, I really had to reteach myself a lot and really fight through a lot of challenges, and that was very challenging. Um, I figured out crutches. I My arms got a lot stronger, I think, from using them, but <laughs> <laughs> it was it was challenging, but during that time, I really wanted to stay motivated and in shape and just keep myself in a good mindset. So I was working out. Um, I was working on my upper body as much as I could. My dear friend, Alonzo Wilson, um, he was a personal trainer. He owns the studio tone house in New York city. He came over a few times and helped me do different exercises and he was so creative and helpful and accommodating to me to keep my body moving so I wasn't becoming this like lazy, upset person because that's just like not who I am and I didn't want to fall into this hole. Um, So I'm really grateful for Alonzo because he just really kept me going and I continued to work out. I continued to use PT. I was seeing two PTs at the time. Um, I was just really determined to not let this be a huge setback. And fortunately, um, with the help of my PTs, my friends and my mindset, it ended up coming out pretty all right. Thankfully,
1: well, so. <laughs> well this, is, this is what we call a great segue because uh, you, you just mentioned your PTs. We, we have here uh, uh, Tyler Kenton, uh, one of the physical therapists who uh, saw you through your, your foot injury. So, uh, Tyler, I want to bring you in at this point and, and ask you to uh, tell us a little bit about um, Sydney's rehabilitation and how she was able to get back to an activity as demanding as dancing in a, in a relatively quick time frame.
3: Well, I mean, it all starts with mindset. First and foremost, and just a lot of reassuring things will be fine. Things will be good. I, you know, I, I remember just looking at the X-rays and just saying like, mm, you know, <laughs> like, yeah, well, like wait and see. And then her doctors made, I think, the right call for her longevity of her career too, is to operate on the foot and have surgery on it. And uh, mindset is super important, and the support system is super important. So thankfully her sister lives in New York now and was there for her. bringing, bringing the patient back to like a, a centered place is is really important. Just it's, it's easy to get kind of caught up in what's happening in that moment, but realistically, you know, and it was going to be tough, but somebody as talented as Sydney, uh, it's, it was entirely possible, but I'm trained in something called blood flow restriction training, which is the primary intervention that we use. It's basically, uh, it's like a, think of like a, a blood pressure cuff. Whenever you go get your physical, you get your blood pressure taken by your doctor. It's something you can put around your leg and it occludes some of the uh, oxygenated blood to your lower extremity, which sounds pretty hardcore and pretty extreme, but it has an, a therapeutic effect that has all sorts of, um, basically a myriad of effects that Sydney, Sydney was a perfect candidate for it because we were focused on the bone healing we couldn't bear a ton of weight on that foot so that's a really that's a really tricky situation because something like dancing obviously you're on your feet you want to make it as functional you know the pt as functional as possible but you also have to keep in mind the tissue healing and there's a lot of things to manage so mindset bone healing trying to keep her legs as strong as possible and then there's the other consideration of well, there's obviously going to be a big imbalance, a large imbalance in her body because she's so right-hand dominant. So what I tend to find is that there's a pattern where you're very right-hand dominant. I see this in a lot of people who work office jobs, desk jobs. They use the mouse all the time, you know, 8, 10, 12 hours a day. Uh, it tends to be just a humongous weight shift where their trunk is shifted over to the right side of their body. And when you're without getting into too many of the biomechanics here, when your weight is shifted so far to one side, it's actually going to make different parts of your hip a little weaker. Mm-hmm. And in Sydney's case, she broke the outside of her foot, right? Her fifth metatarsal that it had to be operated on. And it's because, this is my hypothesis, and what we worked on in PT, once we were mm-hmm. able to weight bear effectively again, you know, strengthening her lateral hip was super important because if you think about supporting all of your body weight onto that little bone on the outside of your foot, it's just, it's impossible. It's just not a realistic expectation. So we to really work on getting her hip stronger and being able to bear weight and being able to connect her foot and her hip together.
0: A quick break to encourage you to move. Physical activity is associated with a reduced risk of chronic disease, not to mention improved bone health, cognitive function, weight control, and overall quality of life. Simply put, More movement is the gateway to better health. Need some help to get going? Physical therapists are movement experts who use exercise, hands-on care, and patient education to help you meet your goals. You can contact a PT directly for an evaluation. Learn more and find a physical therapist near you at ChoosePT.com.
1: So you're trying to get Sydney not only back to activity but back to an an incredibly demanding activity like like dancing and and uh so I wanted to ask you what was the sort of the the ramping up process like where you're where you're actually getting her uh in shape to to actually be able to dance and dance in a in a competitive dance atmosphere
3: as well. Right. Yeah, and not you know not just dancing but like the one of the highest levels you can perform. Exactly. I mean it's just taking baby steps. Sometimes you think it's like so complicated to get back from, you know, a debilitating injury, but you literally take baby steps. Okay, bear weight mm-hmm. one day. Can you squat with two legs? Okay, can you do a lunge? Can you do a single leg deadlift? How's your balance on that side? Can you connect to the hip muscles we're trying to find here? Can you do a heel raise without any pain? Once you can sort of check off a lot of those boxes and you see that her strength is starting to return side to side, which, again, is one of the things that BFR... Uh, the blood flow restriction training helps mm-hmm. us do to help us accelerate. Then you start to progress for tolerance to loading, meaning how much pressure can that foot take in regards to landing, jumping. Right. You sort of work in a forward-backwards plane, and then you start to work something a little more complicated, side to side. Then you work rotational, diagonal, things like that, things that are more similar to... Um, you know what she's going to be doing during her audition or during shows and performances.
1: I uh, I'm I'm just speculating here but but Sydney I'm 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 guessing that it maybe wasn't quite so easy for you to uh, be patient with these little uh, kind of slow baby steps along the way.
2: <laughs> yeah, that is a fair assumption. Um I was very eager to get back into just dancing and having my full springs back. Um the setback I tried to appreciate and like set like settle into it as much as possible and learn as much as I could, but at the end of the day, I just needed to be back where I was that was where I needed i just that was my goal, and that's all I kind of had tunnel vision for and so with the help of Tyler and just like his patience with me and mm-hmm. <laughs> transparency, I was really like I took my time getting back into it for our timeline I would say I think we both realized that my timeline was very accelerated because there was something that I was trying to prepare for and that was a short amount of time um I had an audition about 2 weeks out of my boot that I really wanted to attend and I I was just like what can we do to make this happen I was comfortable with myself as I knew the movement that I was going to be putting myself into. I knew the environment that I was going to be putting myself into. I wasn't going to just throw myself out in the woods, I would say. It was like I wasn't doing any crazy turns or big leaps or anything like that. So I felt like this was a attainable goal where I didn't think that it would hurt myself again. But we had this kind of like just uh goal that we were both working towards to help me prepare for this one audition and then we could kind of take our time after that. So we had this just this timeline of like two weeks out of my boot to really get my strength back um, and then we could take all the time after that
3: which. I think, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I think especially on like the mental aspect of rehabilitation here it's super 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 important when you're up against you know it seems like I won't say impossible odds but when the odds are stacked against you and it's just like you got to keep staying positive keep imagining yourself doing whatever you want to do imagine that end goal Mm -hmm. and it just makes the journey along the way a little easier and a little less scary and a little less anxiety inducing yeah
1: so so tyler your your role is not only pt but it's 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 almost psychologist in a sense physical (laughs) therapist right 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 yeah therapy is in the title. exactly
2: and I was, I'm really thankful for him cause I was trying to be as open as possible about this goal of mine to get to this audition because I realized it was crazy. Um, but we had a conversation about, is this attainable? Is this something that I'm going to regret if I end up hurting myself? Like how realistic was this for us to push for? Um, so he was really helpful with me in helping decide if it was worth pushing for this goal um so yeah definitely he helped with my mindset when a lot when you're
3: when you're a professional and trying to train at that professional level this is your job so that makes right. it easier too where it's like day in day out did you do this did you do this did you do this did you do this you know Good. go on your checklist this is what you're doing this week xyz and she did it and here she is
1: well, and, and, and speaking of auditions, um, uh, th- that, that audition uh, was for the Radio City Music Hall of Rockettes, and you, you subsequently uh, needed to audition again, but on your fourth edition, uh, your fourth time was the charm. So you did get into that troupe, and, and you were visiting your parents out in, uh, in Oregon uh, when you learned that you'd finally uh, made it. Uh, when was that, and can you talk about the, the circumstances, uh, sort of the scene when you got that call?
2: So I was pushing to rehab so I could audition for the Rockettes. Um, And that was a goal of mine that I kind of established during college. It was always something I admired, but it was something that I really hoped for and dreamed for at the start of college because I started to train with some prior Rockettes and I fell in love with the work. Um, And I got that call when I was back in Portland. Um, I was in the parking lot of my dance studio. And mm-hmm. it was just a full circle moment. I was on, it's a four floor parking garage, and I was on mm-hmm. the first floor, and my mom was parked on the fourth floor. We took two different cars, and I got the call, and immediately called her, and then the two of us ran to meet in the middle. It was a moving moment. <laughs> we, <laughs> we met in the middle of the parking garage, and we're sobbing and embracing each other. And I'm so, that mo- that moment was something that you can't even dream about, honestly. And having her there with me to just sit in that moment and embrace it and cherish it was something that I'll always hold on to. Um, and it was a moment where it kind of all clicked and I felt like the uh, time that I thought I had lost with a broken foot um didn't matter honestly it could have helped me it could have helped fuel my fire and I'm <laughs> so grateful to have had in a wonderful season with the Rockets because I ended up then going to perform in their 2019-2020 season and I'm just that moment getting that call in that parking lot with my mom is just something I'll always cherish
1: I, I, I just uh, I just wonder if uh, did anybody see you in the parking lot? I'm wondering like if I, if I had seen that scene, if I would have <laughs> wondered what the, what the heck is going on.
2: My mom was yelling at every person walking by. My daughter's a rocket. <laughs> it was very uh, it was just like very dramatic. I won't lie, but yeah, they were yeah. practicing and yeah.
1: <laughs> so. So, um, you know, and, and parenthetically, when I was a, when I was a kid, my, my parents took me uh, to Radio City Music Hall, and we saw the Rockettes, and, and I, I was amazed by the precision of the dancers. And I, I kind of tend to think of the Rockettes as sort of like when you see synchronized swimmers during the Olympics. It's, it's all about that that precision, that timing, that visual perfection in terms of movement. Um, now, you were the first member of uh, the the Rockettes with a visual disability in in its nearly 100-year history. So... How difficult or, or not uh, is it for you to make all of those required moves and appear to be in perfect synchronicity with your, with your peers in, in the Rockettes, uh, Sydney?
2: Um, I honestly just don't even necessarily think about it. I was there to do my job, and my da- job was to dance as a member of the line and having one hand didn't affect my dancing. Um, I'd worked really hard to be there. I trusted my training, I trusted my ability, and the company and the people, a part of Radio City, were all so welcoming and very open about if I needed accommodations, they were wanting to make them happen and help me. They were just like very transparent in that conversation. And. I'm very grateful for that. But as a dancer, I was just there to do my job and having one hand didn't affect how I performed. Um, It didn't affect how I executed the movement. There were some minor things that I needed to tweak for costumes and props, but nothing was obvious to the audience member uh, unless you were really distinctly watching me. But a lot of times my parents couldn't even figure it out. So if that says anything about how Mm -hmm. just like minute it was at the end of the day. Um, right. I just was there to be a dancer and of course it did stand out a little bit because like you said like this is the first um, situation in the history of the Rockets with someone with a visible disability but I was just there to dance and perform on Radio City as a rocket, and it wasn't there to be a big statement I was there to just dance and I'm very grateful I'm like that job was just a dream come true.
1: So, uh, uh, Tyler, I want to get back to you. Sydney has continued to see you uh, for physical therapy uh, off and on since that incident with her foot. What can you share with us about what she has needed from a physical therapy standpoint to withstand the demands of being a professional dancer and, and also just stay safe?
3: Ironically foot seems to be the least of of the worries now. Is that right? (laughs) That's what I I always find is that if there's something to your foot, your ankle, your knee, something like down the chain, we say, you know, farther Mm -hmm. away from your hips and your core, you know, that's really more a symptom of the issue. So it's, like I mentioned before, just keeping your hips strong. It's hard when you're dealing with somebody performing at this level. I mean, how many shows the day where you did Did about 100 shows during the holiday season, right? Right. And it's like, how do you you can't really attenuate those loads? You can't, you know, she's got to do what she's got to do. And thankfully, her body's strong enough. And I think probably took a little time to adapt to the physical demands of uh, what she needed to do to be a rockette and perform as much as she did. But Like I said, the foot seems to be a a little less of an issue now than obviously when she broke it. But Mm -hmm. I think focusing on focusing on her core strength, focusing on her trunk strength. You know, I mentioned her right-hand dominance, obviously forces her to adapt in a different way. And so it's more about bringing focus back to the left side of her body, trying to find ways to get her left shoulder and left side of her trunk stronger. You know, but it's hard because you can't grab a weight. So we've focused on different ways to set up resistance bands and other weighted exercises where and it actually is almost more effective where we can, focus on the proximal muscles or the muscles of her core and of her mid-back and of her hip just to shift that balance into a little more symmetry core.
1: So Sydney, how, how difficult or, or, or not do you find it to, uh, to kind of keep up with the physical demands that you need to keep up with in order just to be able to uh, be in top shape as a dancer?
2: Um, I challenge myself a lot to make sure that I stay in shape um, because – Well, your body is your tool. Your body is your job and you can feel when you're slacking. And I hate that feeling where I'm not, I feel like I'm not up to par in the studio or on stage. And so I keep, I put a lot of pressure on myself. Um, I try to work out once or twice a day on top of taking dance classes. And I try to see physical therapists as much as I can because I recognize Mm -hmm. the importance of recovery and taking care of myself. But when I'm in those, crazy times where I'm like working a lot or doing a lot of shows, I make sure to do ice baths and i baths and just like kind of the most extreme things to keep my body healthy to avoid injury as much as possible. Um, but I do put a lot of pressure on myself to stay in shape because it's just like keeping your body smart and keeping it healthy and ready to go. So you can perform or execute your best work. Um, yeah.
1: And and sleep and nutrition must be big parts of that as well.
2: Yes, I tried. I'm really kind of a grandma. I try to go to bed relatively early. <laughs> um, and I like to wake up early too so I can get my workouts in and have a full day to prepare and do everything that's needed. Um, I do put a lot of emphasis on nutrition. I try to eat really healthy and I try to cook a lot um, and make sure I'm eating enough and fueling my body with the right nutrients so I can... Uh, just perform at my best i 'm very i try to be as smart as I can because i like I said like my body is my tool my body is my job, and so I have to take care of it in order to do my job well and be successful sure. so uh, you
1: you've you 've already accomplished a a lot and you're you 're what twenty two yeah <laughs> 22. So, um, (laughs) so um, you're 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 a highly uh, visible. uh, You've uh, you've had some career highlights that have included uh, you were the focus of an ad for Core Hydration Water. You have performed as a a backup dancer at a stadium concert for the Korean boy band BTS. Uh, You've been a model for uh, Hollister's Gilly Hicks collection of uh, underwear and sleepwear. So and this kind of comes from my personal experience too Sydney do you feel like you're a, a role model for for young women with disabilities and one reason i ask that is i've read that you have mixed feelings about being seen as a as a symbol for the disability community given the fact that your disability isn't particularly limiting in your daily life, and it's I can relate to that because it's sort of like when people tell me that they feel inspired by me in some way, and 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 my response is well, so I type with one hand, big deal, you know, what, what what's the what, what's the big deal about that? So um, I feel like any praise that I get for doing things the only way I know how to do them kind of feels overblown. Uh, does it kind of feel that way to you?
2: Uh, I completely agree with you. At times it can feel uncomfortable because I honestly, the best way to say it is I'm just like doing me. I've lived my life my whole way. This, I've lived my life this way my entire life. And I don't have a traumatizing moment where I lost my hand. I didn't have to adapt to different things. Everything that I've done is just always how I've executed them. And I, it, it is, challenging for me, like ethically, I go back and forth if I feel comfortable in this position because there are some people whose disabilities don't even allow them to get out of bed every day. And so my privilege is vast in comparison. And I had some struggle with standing on this platform at times and being in this position as a role model because I'm very grateful to not have a very limiting disability. And I think that should be recognized because my privilege is still very great. Um, But in the end of the day, it's all about inclusivity and awareness and just opening up that door. And because my disability is not as limiting, I can start this conversation now so the people who do have more of a challenging lifestyle because of their disability um, can have those conversations and use me as a reference and as a just a way to start opening that door in that conversation. I mean, there are people like Ali Stroker, who is an amazing, amazing talented Broadway performer, and she is in a wheelchair and she is making incredible strides for the disabled community. But I am grateful to be in that same conversation because it's something that we—it sh- just needs to be talked about. It needs to become the new normal, and I recognize that all the like press and emphasis on it is so astounding because it is different, but I'm just here to help make this the new normal and make this not have to be a, a crazy conversation. It should just be us people who have disabilities just doing our jobs and we're just as justified to be receiving the accolades that we are. But, but at the
1: same time, it's got, I would imagine it's got to feel pretty good to you to, to be a, a trailblazer in a sense and to, to, have, to have helped open doors for, for other people.
2: I'm very grateful, I mean, I do recognize the importance um, i've fortunately received so many messages and was able to connect with so many young girls and boys or who are just figuring out how their life is going to be and how their missing of a limb or just different disabilities is going to affect their life and so to be able to connect with those people is extremely humbling and I'm so grateful to have those conversations and be that person for those people. Um, so I do recognize the importance and I'm extremely grateful for it. So I think at the end of the day, I'm comfortable being here because it's not necessarily about me. It's about showing other people that they can do whatever they put their minds to.
1: Can you talk about something called the the Lucky Finn Project? What, what What's that and what's your involvement in it, in it been?
2: Yeah, the Lucky Finn Project is an incredible nonprofit. Um, it brings awareness to limb differences. I came across Lucky Finn Project in college. I randomly, my mom saw an article in a newspaper and held on to it for a couple months and passed it on to me when we were back together in the same city. Um, it is an extremely incredible organization created by Molly Stapleman. Um, I am so envious that I didn't know about them earlier when you are like now having the resources of social media and the internet to connect with different people. They have a great community that people can ask questions and people can talk and just relate to one another. Um, and having that community is so important to recognize that you're not alone. And when I was that little girl back in Oregon with no one in my bubble with one hand, that would have been an amazing resource to have. So um, they have this amazing weekend that they do every year in Michigan where they bring together a bunch of – it's just like a fun weekend where children and families or people who have limb differences can come together and we do fun events, uh, different – like get to know each other games and all this stuff to just really establish that community. Um, And I'm going this year. I'm very excited. Um, but I think Lucky Finn Project is an incredible resource to bring this community together.
1: So, um, uh, Tyler, I want to get back to you. You 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 touched on this earlier, but what are some of the keys from a physical therapy standpoint to to minimizing injury risk to the extent possible with dancers like Sydney and other athletes, uh, and and keeping them strong? And and what's the takeaway from that for the average person who may not engage in competitive and highly uh, physical pursuits?
3: Sure. Uh, 80% of the equation is sleep, you know, rest, let your body repair. It's having a great diet, healthy nutrition. I mean, cutting out sugar, cutting out processed foods, trying to get an adequate amount of protein and eating, you know, plants, fruits, vegetables. I mean, that's just common sense. But oftentimes people want to, like, chase the fad and say, oh, let me get in recovery boots, let me get a massage gun, let me get this, let me get that. hmm if you're not doing if you can't build a Coliseum on a crumbling foundation, that's just the bottom line right You know what I'm saying it's like if you're not yeah. doing 80% of that, then it doesn't matter how you know how much you work on your biomechanics, it's not going to matter. Regardless, I think it's important like I think Sydney's situation was a little extreme because she had two weeks to really get used to bearing weight and jumping and landing and twisting and dancing again before her audition but it's like you said you know somebody who's driven, somebody who auditioned four times and somebody's been dancing their entire lives. Like that's something she was absolutely completely prepared for. And so, right. uh, I think it's smart to see a physical therapist. If you're active, if you exercise more than three times a week, certainly because they're going to be able to point out areas of your body where, you know, most people fit a pattern and a good PT is going to know these patterns and say, okay, you need to focus on this this and this, get your ankle more mobile, get your hip stronger, get your core strength stronger here, or, you know, get your rotator cuff stronger, get your lower trap stronger, X, Y, Z. I mean, I can go on and on and on and on. Right. Just keeping it simple, like there are patterns we all fit into. And physical therapists, a well-trained physical therapist is going to know where you, you know, be able to identify your weak points. Now, if you're not a professional athlete or professional dancer or even a high level or even... Somebody who works out four or five times a week, and you just want to start. I think it's always, it's always appropriate to just start slow. You know, mm-hmm. just do something. Even if you start going for a walk, you want to run. Okay, walk before you run, then walk and run. You know what I mean? It's just like the biggest issue I have, or I find with people, is that they do too much too soon. Mm-hmm. I actually opened my my uh, own practice, and I work out of a CrossFit gym most days. And that's what I find. It's you have people who want to do, uh, you know, a, try to snatch 200 pounds over their head. Well, how does it look when you do 95 pounds? Now you want to snatch this over your head for, you know, 50 reps. Can you do that for five minutes? You know what I mean? It's just like keeping yeah. it simple. It's really sticking to the basics and sticking to, you know, these foundational ideas. That's what really keeps people healthy and improves their longevity.
1: Well, and getting back to one thing that you were saying a little earlier, I mean, everybody's got suboptimal
3: body mechanics that they're not even aware of. Absolutely. I say this to everybody. They ask me about their posture, and I'm saying, posture is important. Don't get me wrong, but, like, it's not everything. It's one factor in the equation. If you're not doing 80% of what you talked about, sleep, diet, rest, you know, strength training, it doesn't matter as much, right? right? But that's, that's absolutely true. Do not strive for perfect symmetry because you will never reach that goal. It's important to stay within a range. If you're slumped over a desk all day and then you try and push weight overhead, you're going to have a bad time. Something's more than likely going to go wrong. But right. it's having a plan and having a team. I think is important. Now Sid touched about how her her friend um, and her trainer was so important to her mindset too, and staying active and keeping her upper body strong. I think. Even working with a personal trainer and just getting a plan in that regard, you can't go see a physical therapist is important too. You know, it's really more about promoting movement and longevity and just trying to make sure that you're doing something because you can't go from zero to a hundred unless you go from zero to twenty.
1: Sydney, last question, and uh, obviously this is easy for me to me to ask, but as as we established, you're you're only 22 years old. you you've accomplished a lot of things already. What's next?
2: Ah, um, that's a great question. I really just really want to focus on still being a professional dancer. That's kind of my tunnel vision right now. I'm fortunate and very grateful to have achieved a lot and have had this pedestal to speak and connect with different people, but I really just so in love with my craft and what I do and I would love to continue to work for different artists and travel and do different campaigns and music videos that's kind of where my mindset is because I really just want to accomplish all my dreams and I'm so grateful for where life has taken me in this journey and ride has been unexpected but so overwhelming and I've learned so much and I've grown so much but I do really want to kind of go back to my roots and just focus on being a dancer and accomplish those dreams of mine.
1: Sydney, uh, Tyler, thanks so much for joining us uh, on Move Forward Radio and all the best to both of you in your future pursuits.
0: All right.
2: Thank you so much for having us.
0: Thank you for listening to Move Forward Radio. Insight from our guests is for informational purposes only and should not be used as a substitute for individual treatment by a medical professional. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. Or find previous episodes at ChoosePT.com, the official consumer information website of the American Physical Therapy Association. Find a physical therapist near you at ChoosePT.com.